Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Labs, the Combine's underway. we got a ton of great coverage all day long on SNR while the Combine is happening. Do you miss being out there? You were, you have been out there a long time. I've been out there once before. It's a lot of fun. You're missing your shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's and, <laughs> you know, bumping elbows with all the bigwigs in the NFL. Um, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm sure they're not missing uh, bumping elbows with me. Um <laughs> You know, the, the thing about the shrimp cocktail, it's not so much the shrimp, it's the sauce. Yeah. Because if you go into St. Elmo's or Harry and Izzy's or any of those places that specialize in this, and it seems that, you know, Indianapolis, uh, on it's, it's almost a mandatory uh, thing for every, you know, restaurant to make cocktail sauce for their shrimp cocktail uh, hot enough to... Uh, I don't know, take, take uh, rust off your car maybe. <laughs> uh, but the, the horseradish, I will say this. If you ever have any kind of sinus um, or stuffed up nose or any of that kind of stuff, um, that will clear it out. That horseradish will clear it out. <laughs> just one whiff of it or just one bite of it and you're good to go? No, taste. Just taste, taste it. it. Yeah, it's not, yes, no, because you taste it. And it goes right from, you know, your throat up through your sinuses. And, and it feels like you're a fire-breathing dragon. <laughs> you could probably get a, uh, a part in the next Game of Thrones. <laughs> you... Our first question today comes from Grant Spellerberg from Cutler Bay, Florida. It's a quarterback question, but Labs, we had to go a little bit in the Wayback Machine to pull this quarterback question out. Grant asked, I didn't know the Wayback Machine went back this far. Oh, it does, It does though. It goes back even further than this. You'd be surprised. Okay. But, but Grant asks, did the Steelers also pass on Johnny Unitas in the draft, or did they trade him to the Baltimore Colts? Uh, neither. Um, the Steelers passed on Dan Marino, but they were smart enough to at least draft uh, Unitas. He was in their ninth-round pick in the 1955 draft. Uh, he was from Louisville. So they made United's the 102nd overall pick. But the, at the time, Walt Kiesling was the coach. And um, not to be unkind, but um, he might have been the worst coach in franchise history. But anyway, 
Uh, Walt Keesling cut him without giving him even a chance to practice with the team during training camp. He didn't let him play in any exhibition games. That tracks Nothing. with what you were just saying, potentially being the yes. worst coach. Uh, so after he was cut, uh, you know, Unitas was from Pittsburgh. So after being cut, he went, came back to Pittsburgh, uh, and, you know, he was bumping around, and he had signed to play semi-pro football with the Bloomfield Rams. Wow. And their games were underneath the Bloomfield Bridge. There was a field under there. I don't know if it's still <laughs> under there or not, uh, but there was a field under there. Uh, and Unitas, was, he was getting ready for the Bloomfield Rams season in 1956, and he got a call from the Baltimore Colts. Uh, they ha- asked him, invited him for a tryout. Uh, Unitas went there, and he was you know, pretty good in the tryout, and the Colts quickly signed him because they heard that Paul Brown and the Cleveland Browns were also interested in him. And so it was, I won't say it was a bidding war, but it was an issue of, you know, who could get him signed first. One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time was this close to throwing passes under the Bloomfield Bridge. <laughs> who would have yes. thought that? <laughs> well, and, you know, um, imagine if, you know, the Steelers had not cut him. You know, how does oh, that yeah. change, you know, the, the, the team through the 60s? You know, Unitas was a three-time MVP. Uh, starter in uh, three championship wins, two NFL championships, and a Super Bowl for the Colts. Um, you know, are they are the Steelers then in position to do the things that they were able to do in the drafts after Chuck Noll was hired? You know, is Chuck Noll even hired? Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things. You know, uh, throw a pebble in the pond and the ripples. What was that the name of that movie? The Butterfly Effect. The Butterfly Effect, effect yes. Yeah. But who knows? But um, thankfully, thanks to Walt Keesling, <laughs> we don't have to we didn't have to go through any of that. Owen O'Callale from Cork, Kilkenny, Ireland. Which Steelers game of the twenty twenty two season was your favorite? I like that question. That's a very positive question. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um I, I got to go with the Christmas Eve game against the Raiders yeah. at Acrisure Stadium. Uh, the atmosphere that it, that that game, that whole, you know, the situation, uh, the retirement of Franco Harris's jersey, uh, the posthumous retirement of Franco Harris's jersey. That was quite a week. Um, that just you know un- unbelievable. And it was Christmas Eve night. Just to refresh everyone, uh, the temperature kickoff eight degrees, wind chill minus ten. And yet, you know, there was still a good number of, excuse me, a good number of fans who braved the conditions. They were into the game throughout. They stayed until the very end. And they also all stayed in their seats during the halftime presentation when Harris's number jersey was retired. And that was a pretty emotional ceremony. Uh, Art Rooney II, uh, Dana Harris, Franco's wife, Doc Harris, Franco and Dana's son, uh, were on the podium together, and then there were a group of former players from uh, the era uh, were on the field to lend their support, you know, just to the whole thing. Uh, and then, of course, the way the game ended, 14-yard pass from yeah. Pickett to Pickens, 46 seconds left, uh, gave the Steelers the 13-10 to lead, and then Cam Sutton made a diving interception with 29 seconds left to seal the outcome. So, yeah, that would, that would qualify 
uh, as my favorite. Uh, and the, the best part of it, it was I wasn't sitting in the stands like those fans <laughs> because I don't have nearly the fortitude that those people did um, to, to brave those elements. Kudos I, to them. I agree with you. I think that was the best game. Runner-up, I would propose the game one week later in Baltimore because mm-hmm. I love beating the Ratbirds, and it's especially sweet when you do it on the last <laughs> possession like they did. Yeah, and, um, you know, you get to do it in their in their yes. house too. Exactly. Carl Warheit from Hollywood, Florida asks, why didn't we retain the services of Mike Hilton? He seemed to have a great season with the Bengals. Bad timing. I mean, Carl, just to, I'll explain what I mean, but, you know, the bottom line is <clears throat> Mike Hilton hit unrestricted free agency during an offseason wherein the Steelers were, you know, in the seventh circle of salary cap hell. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, the calendar, it was 2021 calendar year. Uh, that was the season after the pandemic year of 2020. And most uh, NFL teams had spent the 2020 season playing their home games in empty stadiums. And, you know, that's a significant slice of revenue. And that revenue, league-wide, is pooled, you know, and it goes into the to the kitty, and it's split, you know, uh, 50-50 or, you know, somewhat like that between uh, players and management, you know, and that goes into determining the salary cap. So because they, the games were all played in, in empty stadiums, um, for the first time that I can remember since the salary cap was instituted in 1993, the cap went down yeah. from um, 2020 because the cap was uh, set before, you know, the pandemic really hit. And so, you know, really didn't know that there were going to be empty stadiums through the whole year because that was kind of everything was new at that time with regard to the pandemic. Okay, so... The Steelers not, were a team that not only were they looking at a cap situation where it was less than the previous year, but they went into that offense with 19 players hitting unrestricted free agency. And nine of those uh, were either uh, starters or significant contributors in 2020. And here's those names. Uh, Tyson Alualu, James Conner, Bud Dupree, Matt Filer, Juju, Cam Sutton, Alejandro Villanueva, Chris Wormley, and Hilton. So you had that. Then on top of all that, you had to figure out something with Ben because he was going into the final season of his, of his existing contract. And I think his he had a cap number of like $42 million yeah. or something, which was just, you know, he couldn't do anything with that. So they also had to work something out with him. Um, so then... You know, what happened was, you know, free agency comes. The Steelers are trying to figure out all of this all at once. They have no money to spend. And so the Bengals swooped in. They offered Hilton a four-year, $24 million contract. At the time, even now, it looks kind of reasonable. It only had a $4 million signing bonus and only included $6 million in total guarantees, which is not a ridiculous number. But the Steelers were just not in position to match or come close to those numbers. Same thing with Filer. I mean, his contract from the Chargers, I think, ended up being $7 million a year. And wouldn't he look good, you know, on that offensive line at left guard? And as a guy who could also play some tackle if you needed him. But you're in that situation 
um, you just had nowhere to go with uh, in terms of dealing with those offers. And so that's why Mike Hilton ended up with Cincinnati. You can't sign all the good players. The salary cap demands you having to let some of them go. Another guy I'll throw out there, not from that class, but similar situation, Javon Hargrave, who they just they couldn't do anything about. He went to Philly, yeah. and look at him now in Philly. He's he's going to get paid again when he's a free agent this offseason. Well, you know, you brought up the uh, the combine. Uh, it was interesting. Um, Nick Sir- Nick Sirianni right uh, spoke, uh, and according to the Eagles people. You know, they didn't. They didn't come out. You know, Omar Khan was much more definitive in in his in his remarks in terms of keeping Cam Sutton than the Eagles were in their remarks about keeping Javon Hargrave. So, you know, I'm not predicting he's coming to the Steelers. I'm not predicting that the Eagles uh, are not going to resign him. I'm just saying that you know the Eagles are not in really great salary cap shape either this year. No question about that. Sean Franklin from Urbandale, Iowa, asks. What penalty irks you the most? Barely touching a quarterback that's flagged as roughing the passer, blocking in the back on a fair catch punt, blocking in the back on a kickoff, or some other? Uh, I may be going a little bit uh, off script here with this answer, but this is what I really hate. Okay? <laughs> There's a flag thrown. Okay? Then after the play, they have, as what Chuck Noll referred to as an administrative session where all the zebras gather in the same corral uh, and they start chewing on the cud, <laughs> which um, I don't know if zebras do that or not. I know cows do, but, you know, they start talking. And they talk and they talk and they talk. Then the referee ultimately gets on his uh, field mic and he announces there's no foul on the play. <laughs> that makes me crazy because somebody threw a penalty flag for something. And if he wasn't certain it was, an, it was a penalty, you don't just throw your flag and then try and figure it out after. You know, if it's not a penalty for sure, don't throw the flag. Let the play go on and move on to the next play. But that makes me crazy. And you know what? You never really see it in reverse either, right? Where, like, there wasn't a flag called and they huddle up and they're like, oh, I think you should have thrown a flag on that. The only time you see that is on intentional grounding calls. But other than that, yeah. you'll never see a ref, like, stop a play, bring everybody in and be like, yeah, there was a hold there. Let's throw that flag. That would make me crazy too, though. <laughs> you know, if you either see it or you don't. Right. And if whoever in that in the conversation that you just described, whoever would, would in the conference would say uh, whatever he said to precipitate then the flag being thrown, that he should have thrown the flag during the play. Ryan Yudlinski from Lansing, Kansas. I've watched the live stream of the NFL draft, but obviously can't identify all the folks involved. Who do the Steelers have in the room to discuss the picks throughout the draft process? I know it's a team effort, so who is on the draft day team? Well, okay. Um, we've all seen those photos, some video of you know all the people, uh, and it's the Bill Nunn draft room uh, at the UPMC uh, Rooney Sports Complex on the south side. That's Steelers headquarters. And there, you always see pictures. There's a lot of people there, in there. And their opinions, those people, their opinions might be requested at various times, um, but not everybody is involved in the decision-making. I mean, there's a lot of people there, um, you know, speak when you're spoken to, as, they would, as you heard when you were a kid, you know, from your parents <laughs> or teachers or whatever. So the reality is there's three people who have any voice in the final decision. And just to um, 
prove that this is correct. This is what, in fact, Omar said yesterday, you know, during part of his media availability. Um, the three people involved in that are Steelers president, Art Rooney II, Mike Tomlin, and the GM. Okay? So that's Omar Khan. So, um, you know, the, Kevin Colbert's out of the picture now. He's retired. So the task of putting together the draft board is in the hands of, you know, someone other than the general manager, which in this case is going to be Andy Weil. But again, Omar said yesterday that Andy is in charge of that, but there's going to be a lot of input from, you know, uh, Dan Colbert, Sheldon White, um, <laughs> and again, the head coach uh, is going to be involved in that. However, when the Steelers are on the clock, there are three opinions that matter. The GM, Omar Khan, the coach, Mike Tomlin, and the Steelers president, Art Rooney II. Because picking Steelers draft picks is not a democracy. They do not hold a vote. Okay, that's not the way it works. Paul Peachy from Lidditz, Pennsylvania. We hear a lot about play calling in the red zone, both offensively and defensively. How might the play calling change for the red zone compared to other areas of the field? Well, okay, uh, Paul, play calling changes uh, in the red zone because the dimensions of the field are, are different there. You're inside a 20-yard line, so that means there's less area for the defense to have to defend, and then there's less area for the offense to be able to operate. So, you know, the kind of tactics or formations or things <clears throat> that might be effective for either the offense or the defense uh, when there's more grass to cover may not be successful when the dimensions are reduced often significantly. So, you know, that's how and that's, how, and that's why uh, play calling has to change in the red zone for it to be successful either for the offense or the defense. Andrew Schwerbeck from Portsmouth, Ohio. With the Steelers just recently having retired the late great Franco Harris's number 32, who was the last player before Franco to wear number 32? Wow, making you do some research on this one. Way back machine again. Yeah, here we go, fired up. <laughs> um, that player, would. Uh, his name was Hubie Bryant. Hubie Bryant attended, he's a local guy, local Pittsburgh, local to Pittsburgh, attended Penn Hills High School. That's just outside, um, you know, the city of Pittsburgh limits. From there, he went to the University of Minnesota. In 1968, uh, Hubie Bryant had a brief flirtation with the Browns. Uh, then in 1970, Hubie Bryant, who was 5'10", 170, he, re he uh, hooked on with the Steelers, and he was a punt returner primarily. Uh, he returned 37 punts for 159 yards, 4.3 average in his only season with the Steelers, which was, as I said, 1970. Um Bryant then, he kicked around the NFL a little bit, played for the New England Patriots in 1973, and then as a lot of players did in that era, when the World Football League kind of blossomed for a couple of years, um, Hubie Bryant played for three different World Football League teams in 74 and 75, and then he was out of football. Michael Paulini from Schwanksville, Pennsylvania asks, in Three Rivers Stadium, what was the purpose of having cars behind the end zone sidelines? I'm sure a lot of people have seen those uh, old videos 
Um, Lynn Swan jumped over one <laughs> that's once. Beautiful. I thought that's what it was there for, just for sheer impressive nature of Lynn Swan clearing one. No, but what that was about was that was part of a marketing deal uh, with Chrysler dealers in the Pittsburgh area, and uh, those cars were kind of put there to, I guess I don't know, a, a, um, a poor man's uh, international car show. You know, they have that at the yeah. Pittsburgh Convention Center. Well, it was kind of that. I mean, because you know, uh, it was a Steeler game in, in the seventies. You had a sellout crowd, fifty-five thousand, whatever it was, uh, and they were there and they saw the cars. So during, you know, lulls in the action or whatever, uh, you know, they were always clean and shiny, and um, except the, you know the one that Swan jumped over. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it was yeah, it was just a marketing deal. Show them to the show them to the but hopefully potential paying customers. John Kuhn from Frederick, Maryland. If a college player declares early for the draft and then is not drafted, can he go back and play for his college? No. You can't go. I mean, there's no backsies, as we used to say. And, <laughs> you know, when you were playing tag and you got tagged, you couldn't tag the person who just tagged you right away. You know, you'd have to go and try and chase someone else. We called that no backsies. You like that rule or you think they should be able to go back? No, I don't think you can do that because I agree. Um, you know, if they have an agent, a lot of times, uh, you know, things get complicated, and you know, then is it, um, you know, if the guy isn't drafted in the first two rounds, then can he take his name out right. because he doesn't want to be a fourth <laughs> round pick or something? You know, uh, I think that if if you do declare. Uh, and that's a long process to, and nobody forces uh, you to do it, you know, like it's, it's your own right. choice. So you got to take the risk that's yes. involved with it. Yes. And Hey, if you don't know that, because they do have those committees now where you can submit your name and they will, oh, that's right. you know, it's made up of NFL people, personnel people. I know Kevin Colbert was on it, uh, often, and they give you an honest answer. They tell you, no, you're not very good, or no, you're not going to be a number one pick, or yeah, you're going to be a number one pick, or whatever it is. So, you know, you, there, there is that resource for you to avail yourself of. And so there, I think there's enough, um, what do they call it, um, when they put the things, and when you're bowling, you know, so they, the ball doesn't go in the gutter. Oh, um, the bumpers. Guardrails. The, the guardrail bumpers. Yeah, bumpers. Yeah, yeah guardrail bumpers involved in the process that, um, you know, once you make the decision, I think you have to live with it. Yeah, I think our own Mr. Kenny Pickett used one of those committees to evaluate himself, you know, decided yeah, to go back, went to, back to school. Yep, and look, yeah. it worked out beautifully for him because I think they were saying, you know, you're a fourth or fifth round pick, and now he was the first quarterback taken in a draft class in the first round. Michael Angelo. Didn't even have to, didn't even have to pack up and move either. <laughs> no, he didn't. Michael Angelo. I think someone's having a little fun with us there at that name. From Las Vegas, Nevada, would the Steelers consider trading wide receiver Deontay Johnson for the right price given their excellent track record of finding gems at that position in the draft and with George Pickens emerging as a clear number one receiver talent? What would the cap slash dead money implications be in this scenario? Yeah, um, you know, there's no right price for this because here's, you know, this, this is one of those um, – fantasy football things, uh, you know, it sounds good on paper. 
because here's the reality of these kinds of things in the real world that is the NFL with a salary cap. If the Steelers traded or cut Deontay Johnson this offseason, he counts $19.67 million in dead money against their salary cap. Oof. Okay? So besides the financial hurdle, you know, are the Steelers going to be able to, quote, get the right price? Why would a team give up anything significant? Um, because he has a pretty big contract, so they have to assume that contract. And then, again, why would they do that at a time in the NFL calendar? You know, free agency is like 15 minutes away. So there's going to be receivers, you know, that you can just go out and sign. Right. Or, you know, then a month after that, there's going to be another draft where, again, um, the forecast is that the wide receiver position is going to be stocked with talent. So why would it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Why would a team want to do that? Give you anything significant in a trade for this guy? Um, so, you know, the best for the Steelers, the best path forward with Deontay Johnson, you continue to work with him to develop, to develop him, try and, you know, have him work on his flaws, uh, his, the weaknesses in his game. And then you just count on him and Kenny Pickett to work out a relationship uh, the two of them and within the offense that so that if that's successful, it ends up being lucrative for everybody, for Pickett, for Johnson, and for the team. Yeah, I mean, you're allowed to have more than one really great wide receiver. In fact, it's probably encouraged that you do have more than one. So just because Pickens has emerged as a number one doesn't mean that, you know, Deontay can't be a 1A or a very high number two in this league. That has a lot of value. Yeah, and, you know, the, the whole thing, Here's another thing. I'm going to just, you know, bore you with a real quick story. Um, Dan Rooney told me this one time, you know, when, uh, because a lot of, you know, trade up in the draft, trade back in the draft, get more picks, do this, do that. Right. He said, you know, the problem with some of these people, meaning scouts and personnel people, is he said, they're trying to win the draft. He said, the idea is to try to win the Super Bowl. So, you know, just because you make a deal with some team and trade a guy and get more picks or, you know, whatever it might be, and Mel Kuyper and all those people, you know, Todd McShay and whoever else is involved in that kind of stuff, give you good grades yeah, the next day. Your A on your report cards. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. You know, I just saw something that I don't know how – how many teams in the re who have recently traded up in the top five for a quarterback who they've gotten, <laughs> you know, Zach Wilson, Mitch Trubisky, um, Carson Wentz. Trey Lance you know, has barely played a game. You, right. You get a lot of buzz right after you do that. But, you know, you, when you let the dust settle for a little bit and then you see – what the team got for what they maybe had to give up, it's not worth it. So quit trying to win the draft. Yeah, they don't hand out a trophy for that. You don't get this big they trophy don't. at the end of April when you win the draft. Yeah, don't get rings or any of that stuff, no. Stefan Keister from Kinnelan, New Jersey, has our last question today, and he asks, Though undrafted, Jalen Warren was a big addition to the Steelers this year. How do undrafted rookies come to try out for a given team? Are they invited by the team, or do they independently just show up? Uh, actually, you know, it's quite the opposite. Um, 
you know, Jalen Warren as a member of the 2022 draft class, he was scouted. Um, You know, there's no uh, understanding that, well, this guy won't be drafted. I mean, all the reports that were done, the interviews, all of that stuff that goes on between a team uh, and the prospects as it prepares for a draft are done on draft picks, undrafted rookies, the same. I mean, you you have to do your due diligence. And so with Jalen Warren, just to use his name, you know, they, they tested him on the field. They did medical examinations. Uh, they did interviews, everything, okay, with him. So then once the time comes, you get start getting late in the drafts, seventh round, maybe sometimes even in the sixth, teams will start calling these guys who have not been drafted yet, who guys who they may like. And they say, you know, if you don't get drafted, would you be interested, you know, in coming, you know, um, and signing with us? And, you, you know, you gauge some interest. And then what you have is the scouts, once the draft ends, you know, it's like um, musical chairs. Right. <laughs> you know, the music stops. Everybody starts, you know, calling. They, they all have their lists. And you need a certain number. You want to sign a certain number of guys per position as undrafted rookies to fill out your training camp roster. So, you know, the Steelers probably wanted a couple of running backs. And Jalen Warren was one of those guys. And so you call him. And you're actually trying to recruit him as opposed to, you know, um, hey, you want to come and try out. I mean, it's much more uh, in the, at that point, a lot of these guys, it's, it's the ball's in their court. They're kind of in charge in terms of where they want to go if you have a couple of different offers. And so, um, you know, a lot of times these players either through, and they have agents at this point, um, the agent might say to Jalen Warren, hey, you know, they're looking for a guy, um, you know, James Conner's gone. They don't have anybody behind Najee Harris. They're looking for a number two running back. So you go there, you're going to have a legitimate chance, uh, you know, to make the team because it's not like you're going to a team that has 15 veteran running backs on its depth chart. So, you know, that's, again, it's, it's more of a recruiting thing than um, can I come and try out and try and make your team. And well, let me just say this too. You can't walk in off the street and get a tryout. I mean, that, <laughs> like your Vince that, Papali in the movie Invincible. Yeah. Rolling right. In. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah. They make, they make movies about that stuff, but uh, it, that's, that that was real, uh, but that that concept at this point, <laughs> with the advancements in scouting and all that stuff, that's not real anymore. That'll do it for us this week. Want to remind you to tune into SNR all week long from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. We got great coverage out in Indy. Dale Ollie, Jerry Dulac, Matt Williamson, Max Starks, Wesley Euler. They're all giving you the best uh, Steelers content, other than Aston Answered, of course, uh, at Indianapolis. Get your questions in now. Maybe you'll hear them read on next week's edition of Aston Answered. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opferman. As always, thank you for listening. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.